Well, let's uh, get into the Word and thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for all the things you've given us, especially your scriptures. We'd ask that you would bless our time in it. In your Son's name, Amen. Okay, we're in Luke 7. Um, it's a synoptic common, well, it's only in Matthew, I think. Uh, I think it's in Matthew 11. Um, and the, uh, you have to choose which of the Gospels you're going to take it out of. And it, there's slight differences in terms of comments the Lord makes uh, in this situation. It just seemed cleaner to deal with it in Luke. John the Baptist is in prison of Herod. He said some things about Herod's private moral behavior that was not taken well. And so he's in prison. He's going to be killed before he leaves. And uh, it's one of those interesting bits of reality, you know, where you say, not only is John in prison, but he's wondering about, you know, things aren't going as I thought they were going to go here, and um, the guy I thought was going to be the Messiah, I'm wondering about now. There's something about the effect of prison, or what Jesus is doing. The disciples of John, verse 18, told him all these things. It had been a moment, a series of miracles the Lord had done uh, in the city of Nain. And uh, so John's disciples go back to him in prison and tell him what's going on. And John, calling to him two of his disciples, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now you're almost tempted to go, John, oh, you, ye of little faith, why don't you still believe? Are, ye, are you who is, he who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, as you look at this whole passage, we're going to go 18 through the end of the chapter, verse 35. Um, not quite the end, but um, one story away from the end. The basic thing is recognition of the Lord's servants. That's basically what the passage is about. And we spend a lot of our time not just trying to recognize the Lord's servants, but fighting over who we recognized as the Lord's servants. Um, and having big problems for the last 2,000 years, being, having really big problems with the path of recognition and with our, our behavior having recognized or thinking we have recognized. Are you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, what I want you to do in terms of your own application is for you to do some self-examination in a non-introspective way, more in an analytical way, where you figure out what it is, who it is you're looking for. You got a religious, I mean, you're obviously in church on a Sunday. 
you got some religious something going on in you. And you need to know what the religious something is. Because, you know, if, if suddenly, who would do this? A Satanist stood up with a handgun and, you know, blew me away. No more pastor and burned the church to the ground. You all survived. This just happened in a synagogue in San Diego or something. Um, so you have to find another church. Moving on. Now, I don't think that you all, with one mind, would choose to go the same direction. That is just call me suspicious. But you're all in a different place. I have no idea where your theology is. And just because you sat under the teaching of a particular person, it doesn't mean you held his theology. And luckily, since there's no membership here, you don't have to, have to fill out a test. So you really have to know who you're about because you are going to wander off after Evan's dead on the ground or the building's burned to the ground. Um, you're going to be making some steps to move to wherever you're going to move, Des Moines. You're going to move to Des Moines and then you get to Des Moines, you look at the phone book and you look at the list of churches or you go online and you, you know, some of you are going to happy clappy it. Some of you are going to go to the pew jumping route. Some of you are going to get all religious. You're all going to make some choices. And this is an important passage because you get to see how Christ, John the Baptist, and the people deal with the issue of these choices. John wants to know, and John's a prophet of God, I mean, pretty important prophet of God. Are you he who is to come? You think you'd know, you're a prophet. Now, as you examine yourself, what am I looking for? Who am I looking for? What, what Christ am I seeking? What Messiah? What will make me feel like I made it to Messiah land that we call Christianity? When will you feel the most Christian? Because you know, I thought about doing things, you know. Uh, I grew up a Southern Baptist. And you can, you can do Southern Baptist on standing on your head. I mean, it, it's an easy, you know, shtick to do. Altar call to every sermon. A little plaque up on the wall that gives you three hymns. Attendance last week, attendance this week. It'd be harder for me to do Anglican, and there's already an Anglican church here. Whatever we could, you know, we could, we could do various things to make people feel more religious. I remember there was almost a, not a church split, but almost a rebellion. This is when we met at Avalon House many years ago. And a friend of mine came from back east, visited us in church. He was a Presbyterian but liked to fellowship broadly. And uh, he said, can we sing, uh, I think Anne can it be? And he said, could we stand and sing it? 
announced. You know, that's Road to Rome right there. Standing to sing a hymn. That's like genuflecting up and down, praying, confessing, crossing yourself. And some people, if it hadn't been a guest requesting it, so I took my opportunities, and from that point on, the reason you stand at the first hymn is because my friend would squeak that in. Because I know that whatever religious or decorative or you know, axis on which I might try to appeal to people, I would be looking for an appeal that you would find, say, and we're going to fill the pews because more of us want that. Well, some of you wouldn't. You'd go looking for another church. Whatever it is. So it's not just, you know, I'm not thinking about church growth. I'm thinking about your own examination of your, your, the, who you're seeking. Should you look for another than what Jesus was? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are ye, you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he cured many diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who, that were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Now that's that last line is what your kind of one of the dipstick elements in your examination of yourself. What bothers you? about certain Christians. Oh, small infants who can't keep their mouth shut. Hi, Milo, you little infidel. Yeah, you're happy, pleased with yourself. You understand why they baptize them. Um, what we have are, is, a, is a procedure that you need to know what sort of person you are and what you seek religiously because you're going to be functioning along an axis with a certain standard, with a certain offense taken or not offense taken. The Lord says, blessed is he who takes no offense at me. He said, this is what I've been doing. You can watch what he, he heals all these people. And then he turns to the disciples of John and said, see, I healed all those people. You can go tell him I healed all those people. John had said something that was a little, are you the guy? And the Lord, not warning him so much, said, you know, blessed is he who doesn't take offense at this. Now, What's interesting about this passage, uh, I don't know if this has anything to do with the sermon. Did you notice how he gave the blind their sight, helped the lame walk, the lepers were cleansed, they weren't leprous anymore, uh, the deaf heard, because they could hear now and they couldn't hear before, the dead are raised up, they were dead and now they're not, and then it says, and the poor were given five dollars. No. 
and the poor were given $10,000? No. The poor were had, had good news preached to them. I don't know what to do with that. The Lord did not fix. The Lord could make money if he wanted to make money. He was making dead people alive again. He could just say, ah, now, X number of denarius from the Roman government called, I mean, he got one out of the belly of a fish to pay a tax. It's not like money's a problem here. But the poor need good news. But what I'm looking for, what I'm looking for is a, uh, is a Christ who functions a certain way and that Christ is kind of the hero, how you view the hero. You notice how you're on, online, if you're online at all, you have people that are conservatives who kind of think that Jesus Christ riding the Velociraptor with the American flag and, you know, um, and a strong opinion about fair taxation or that taxation is theft versus some liberal socialist who wants to get under the Christian skin claiming Jesus, you know, was a migrant. You want to punch both of them in the face. You know, just a, okay, you, you, you just declared what Jesus, what Christ you're looking for. And some elements of what Christ did, I, I've related this story before when Gene Thomas was here many years ago, this is probably 40 years ago, doing a, a, a retreat on campus and he was preaching on the Good Samaritan and, no, rich young ruler. And a young Christian from one of the campus groups came up to Gene Thomas afterwards and expressed how wrong Jesus was to him because he did not give him the gospel when the guy said, what must I do to be saved? He was told, give up everything you have. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. People have such strong views of economics, their Christ has to reflect them. Some people on the capitalist end and some people on the socialist end don't like this pointed out that no, we didn't give money to the poor. We gave healing to the sick. But a lot of times you're poor because you're just not doing much. You know, you be poor accidentally, but it's something, things could get better with a good heart. Lame, not so much. Dead, certainly not. You need a miracle. But some people don't like that. They don't like the Christ who is. And Christ who is trots out what he is in action and then tells the disciples of John to tell him what they saw and then with this kind of a warning, blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Now what's interesting, it goes on. John was wondering who Jesus was. Verse 24. When the messengers of John had gone, he began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to behold? Same question. John wants to know, who are you? And Jesus is going, did you know who John was? 
What, what were you looking for with John? A reed shaken by the wind? Something manifestly insignificant? Is that what you went to look at? What then did you go out to say? You were moved by some significance. A man clothed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are in gorge, gorge, who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. You have to go to Malibu to see them, Santa Barbara, Manhattan. Now, if you want to see people who are important, famous, celebrities, were you drawn by celebrity? Well, he was well known, but he wasn't, and he wasn't insignificant, but he wasn't sliding along a certain axis of getting your attention. And what you attend to, where a man's Treasure is, there will his heart be also. She tells you that. We know that we can actually find out this dipstick moment of who am I seeking. A lot of it can be um, revealed to you by who you found or where you looked. Were you ready to look in the wilderness? Because it doesn't matter to you how successful the person is. Do they have to have fame? Do you find the spirituality that you need? Do you find the uh, kind of Christianity that your heart seeks where it actually is? What did you go out to see? This question is, is following us through who are we, how are we encountering the real thing of God? I think I told you when I went to the Vatican a month ago. Not for services. I mean, you, you, can't out, you can't outdo them. I mean, greatest building in history, greatest artist in history, most people in history, longest term time in history. You, you, can, you can create religions, you might say in soft raiment, important places to go. That doesn't make them wrong. Just you need to know what it is you're seeking and how it is you measure it. Because the Lord is concerned with you that you know who you went to see with John and that you don't take offense at him when he is being questioned about who he is. What did you go to see with John? Do you have a fondness for John the Baptist? I mean, I, some of you do. I, I was, again... I think I grew up with a stained glass window of John the Baptist heavily impressed into my memory. So uh, that might be part of it. You like John the Baptist, that sort of hairy thunderer, does no miracles, does no miracles, but uh, preaches. A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Look at what you've sought already. Not just in what you've sought with your religious choices, but just your seeking in life. How do you measure everything? These are legitimate measures. I mean, if you want to go see, have a good time, you go to Disneyland, from what I hear. Universal Studios. You want 
to see famous people, you go to New York or LA. Nothing wrong with seeing a famous person. Watch TV, see them on talk shows. But if you want to see a prophet, if you want to see the Christ, you're going to need to be measuring your world a certain way. That as you step through every portal, every walk down every hall, you push certain things aside that, that are disturbing you and you don't want to think about those in regard to who you seek. You're seeking a certain thing. You're trying to remove all the detritus in your thought that it would overwhelm you. Well, do they have good programs for my children? Don't make me hurt you. I mean, you know that you're never going to have a youth group here. Addison, ever. I'm not sure the president. Now, I know people who forever, who watch their families go to Hades in a handbasket, not because they went away from all souls or something like that, but because they made choices on a bunch of goofy standards of benefit. Do they have good programs for the youth? and all of their kids away from the Lord, having chosen good programs for the youth. Now it's not that it's some, you can have a good program for the youth. It can happen. They're not totally without souls. And you can have somebody who could preach the gospel to them and teach them the word of God. My dad had Bible studies for junior high kids in my upbringing, and they were very good Bible studies. But when you make decisions for certain reasons, Realize that you're choosing, you're choosing basically an answer. What my question is will define where my answer is found. And John's wondering, he's asking the question, and Christ is giving him the answer. He says, is this where you're finding it? Is this um, giving you a sense of offense? And then he turns it around and said, what did you go out to see? Were you offended by John? I mean, Herodias was very offended by John. Because he pointed at her and said, you cannot be married to that woman. She took umbrage. She cut his head off. More than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. That's out of Malachi 3. It's on the side. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is a, the Lord's not going to leave us without hints. He's talking about his miracles he's done. He's telling John, that's going to help him. Were you looking for me? Were you looking for that? Were, were you looking for some political gain against the Herodians or the Romans? What were you looking for? What were you looking for in John? Were you, now this is a little dated, but it's kind of an attempt at a relate to the young people. Some of you might not have been, well, how long ago was the Matrix? 20 years? Some of you weren't born yet when this movie came out. Well, what are they going on about? Was Neo the one? Right? He wanted to know if he was the one. The oracle was going to tell him if he was the one. 
people wanted to, oh, I think he's the one. The chick thought he was the one because it was Keanu Reeves. And he was kind of fine. What are you looking for with the one? I mean, John the Baptist steps forward and the guy is really not ready for your dinner party. He is not ever going to be ready for your dinner party. He's got short shorts made of camel. I don't imagine he has, other than in the baptisms, ever been near water. He eats bugs and he doesn't play well with others. And the Lord sent him to prepare the way because the Lord you seek was coming to his temple. And it matters who you saw. Did you see in Christ, like Simeon and Anna in the temple, they knew, looking at this baby, this is who I was waiting for. How they knew, I don't know. But they knew. Is there a way for you to know who you're waiting for? Because John was this messenger. Are you hoping for the one? Is your axis of measurement entirely worldly? Are you beginning to think, you know, I actually have something else I'm looking for? You may. You could still be wrong, just because you're noble and not turned aside by worldliness and seeking the end of God in the king's courts. You could be better than that, but you could still be wrong. People still go off to the mountaintops and in Nepal and Kathmandu and ask some equally sweaty and unbathed man what the answer to life was and he's going to give them the wrong answer. So just because I found a sweaty guy who eats gross food doesn't mean I have found truth. But you have to realize you went out to the wilderness for a reason. What did you go out to see? What were you, what were you looking? Not Because it's not Again, it wasn't the fine clothing because Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Babylon were standing there in fine clothing. More highly placed than anybody else in those kingdoms other than the king. And if you wanted the wisest men in the 500s BC, you wanted to talk to Daniel. Because he was a man of God. What did, what did you go into the king's courts in Babylon to see? You could ask the question. What did you go to see? Did you go to see just fancy dressed people? Or did you go to see something that you know you're about in seeking the thing of God? You want the one. You want your Lord who's going to come into his temple. I tell you, verse 28... Among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It's a very, very complicated verse. No one is greater than John, born of women. This smelly guy who can't seem to say the right thing without getting himself killed, I mean, how, just imagine if you were Mrs. John the Baptist. How embarrassed you would be all the time. You can't take your husband anywhere. He keeps getting killed. 
That's bays. I have to eat bugs. No one born of woman is greater than John. But then he says this weird thing, yet he who is least of the kingdom of God is greater than he. What? I have met some pretty low Christians. Yeah. That's, that's the sort of thing I'm a problem with. You. But some, most people go, you know, John was the last of the Old Testament saints. He was not a regenerate individual. The atonement hadn't happened before he died. He was greatly honored of God, but the things of God and the kingdom of God are greater than the Old Testament faith that existed. That's legitimate. So that, you know, Joe Average and congregation in an all-souls Christian church in Moscow, Idaho, any one of you, if you're saved, are greater than John the Baptist. That's one interpretation. Let's pretend, let's hope it's true. The other possibility is that he's talking about Christ himself. Because it, he has made himself least. Um, and he says, you shall not take, seize authority over man, be like the Gentiles, but he who makes himself a servant of all, least of all, he should be greatest. And uh, I sort of wonder if he's referring to himself. He says the only one greater than John is the one who's made himself least in the kingdom. It's a little wobble. One of those two. Either you're greater than John the Baptist, let's, let's, let's hope that's true. Or, uh, or Christ is greater than John the Baptist. Doesn't really matter. We want to know what we're dealing with. We want to know if this dipstick is even in the right engine compartment to measure the right thing in our lives. It says, I want to know what? Do I want to know some path of religious goodness that I can make sure my kids grow up in a good environment because goodness is good for the society and city is, is a better place if we have good people? Or is it because you want to know Jesus Christ? You want to know the Lord's Messiah? When they heard this, all the people and the tax collectors justified God having been baptized, baptized with the baptism of John. Here is this new Jesus. They've gone over to listen to Christ now. John's in prison. They're listening to Christ. And he says, you know the guy you were listening to before? Nobody greater than that guy. And so the guy's going, yeah, I went out there and was baptized by John the Baptist. Isn't it great? I'm on the right track. I've been recognizing, I recognize John, and now this new teacher is recognizing John and recognizing my pursuit of him. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So you have this split in the audience. The dipsticks running into each of them, and they're finding out whether or not they are just religious wannabes, you know, pretentious, really seeking God. What did they want? Righteousness? And they saw righteousness in John. What did they want? You'd think that religious men would have the right perspective. Have you ever talked to religious men? I'm, I'm, I'm a religious man. I've got my black pastor's jacket. I'm, I'm, um, I've got the church. I, I've, got a, I've got pews. I'm called pastor by some people. So I'm a religious man. 
And I, tra I, I traffic in religious men. And I think some religious men are good, and some religious men, I think John the Baptist was a religious man, Christ was a religious man. But so were the Pharisees and the lawyers. But they were on the wrong, wrong axis. They were choosing, measuring out what we needed to get from this Messiah thing. And then the Lord wraps it up with a really cute illustration. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? He's going to he's going to stick the dipstick in. Let me check. What are the people today like? The last few couple weeks I've been getting together with various people and it comes up with some regularity. What do y'all think of the current generation? And I'm, I'm 64, so it's, well, they're all just awful. You know, because it's, it's curmudgeon time for me. I'm going to be a curmudgeon until the end. Uh, I despise you all. But everybody does that. Every generation they do that. What about the kids' music today? It's not Led Zeppelin. What shall we compare the men of this generation to what? What do they look like? What are they like? They are like, okay, Jesus is saying that I want to know what they're like. Uh, let me tell you what they're like. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We piped to you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. Probably a popular kid's ditty, you know, ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes all fall down. Is it from the plague? You know that. But this one, Christ picks up, we piped to you, but you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. He said, they're like, they're like these children singing this song, which says, we've got something we are deciding you're going to comport yourself with, and you didn't comport yourself with it. When the religious men of the age, the Pharisees and the lawyers said, Time for singing, time for dancing. Well, you better show up. John the Baptist, the Lord, aren't showing up to the dance. When he told them to be sorrowful over something, John and Jesus weren't showing up to be sorrowful about it. He said, that's what they're like. People who insist, because that's what happens when you find out the, with your dipstick, not only... Have I arrived at what is? What is it I'm looking for? What standard do I hold it to? They were measuring out this standard, that you do it our way. The religious always have a way to do it. That they want you to be like. And you need to be sure that you're not, not failing to find God or look for God, but just say, that's not really a matter to me as to whether or not you or important people before you said I had to do it that way. But I still have to know what I'm after and how I'm seeking it. It's not a matter of, you know, you know, Evan's kind of a radical libertarian when it comes to religion, you know, just do what you want, you know, and this is the way we want to do it, and you can do it that way too. Great, not a problem. You can be Congregational, Episcopal, Presbyterian, I don't care.
that's not, the, the point is not everybody gets to be right, but you will be judged for what you pursued and what you found. If you seek, you will find. What are you looking for? Because it matters that you find the right thing. Jesus is the right thing, and somehow the Pharisees missed it. John was the right thing, and somehow the Pharisees missed it. Because they had a standard you know, dance they wanted you to do, and they didn't do it. A standard morning, and they didn't do it. For John the Baptist, verse 33, has come eating and no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. This is how their axis worked. This is how they rejected one of the holiest men in history, if not the holiest. No man born a woman is greater than John. He's in prison over there, and he had a ministry for a number of years down there at the Jordan, and you all rejected him, you Pharisees and you lawyers. You all rejected him and said he was possessed because he smelled bad, ate bugs, and told people off. Didn't fit, doesn't fit a lot of your viewpoints, right? I mean, well, I wouldn't want that person on my porch. I had a guy visit me some years back who had dropped out of New St. Andrews or kicked out of New St. Andrews many years before and he lost his mind and he showed back up in Moscow on my porch smelling like a dumpster. I mean, it was bad. And I was trying to get, how do you show ungrudging hospitality to someone who's out of his mind, smells like a dumpster? Well, one, you don't invite him in. I sat and chatted with him for a couple hours on the porch. He's got his mind back, got it a a doctorate now. Seems to be doing fine. But we know that we're, we have to really, what if he was the prophet of God? And we're having a hard time with the prophet of God clothing and the smell. John the Baptist didn't do all the things you expect, you know, members of the country club to do. He didn't drink. And sometimes in a up-to-date college, rational town as big as the C.S. Lewis, everybody's about their IPAs and their fancy wine-tasting stuff, and we all like that thing, and good cigars, and kind of look at somebody at a sketch, you know, I, I don't drink. What, you don't drink? All Christians drink. Watch out for how you, you store up these guides to your pursuit. Because the Pharisees did this, and Jesus is saying, you, you recognizing what's going down with John and what's going down with Christ is a big, big deal. And you thought we were supposed to dance to your tune, and we didn't. And John was a certain way, and you said he had a demon. And then says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a glutton and a drunkard. Eats too much, drinks too much. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Then he's going to throw you a bone. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. 
The Matthew account says wisdom is justified by her deeds. So somehow those two things are the same thing. John and Christ were the children. They were brothers in wisdom. Mom was wisdom. They were brothers. Were you looking for that? Or were you looking for continuity and regularity in your services? Because one guy smells and eats bugs and doesn't drink, and the other guy goes to all the right parties and really nice clothes. And they like each other. My father always taught me. He said, look at the difference between these two men. And John the, Jesus Christ says of John, no man more than a woman is greater than John. And John looks at Christ passing by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's what's called unity in the real thing. They have no unity in cultural sociological purpose. They have every bit of unity because they're both children of wisdom. They're, both, they're, they're, they're doing God's work at the level, or you might say the part of the body of life that God has given his people. They're doing it. If you don't see that John and Christ aren't competing for your following their style, we don't drink because Jesus drank. You don't not drink because John didn't drink. You realize that your fellowship with the person who does or doesn't, contrary to whatever you do or don't, is uh, your brother in the wisdom of God. That we're seeking what was the wisdom of God? What was the good news? Remember he's how he preached to the poor, the good news? Good news preached to them. What is the good news we were waiting for? Who is the person we were waiting for? It's more important than you creating a, a standard song you sing to get the dance going, a standard wailing you do to get the morning going. We're looking for something deeper than that. We want to recognize who is true. We want to know what is true. The Malachi passage that I put the rest of it here at the bottom from Malachi 3.2 This is speaking of the Lord coming into his temple but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. What we're looking for is this. This messenger came before the Christ. The Christ came into his temple. He was bringing a message of refining changing us all. We've got to be looking for him so we will hear him when he speaks, so we'll be the recipients of this refining. Who you become in life is going to be who you sought, what you value. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we hope for the blessing that is there for those who take no offense at your son. We're thrilled to have been partners with John and your son in your wisdom and the gift you brought in the gospel. Thank you, in your son's name, amen.